This week, we're starting a new series, Teach Us to Pray. We see in the Bible that Jesus talks a lot about prayer, and that's because it's important. To be a disciple means to be in relationship with God, and prayer is our way of communicating with him, of speaking with him, being confident that he hears us. Over this series, we're going to look at examples in the Bible of people praying. We'll see how people called out to God. This should encourage and inspire each of us to really press into our prayer life, to go deeper, to go more thoroughly into praying and speaking with God. It seems a good place to start is the Lord's Prayer. It's one of the best-known passages in the Bible. It's been used regularly in church services, at weddings, funerals, even in secular contexts, such as before opening sessions of Parliament. Yet the danger with something that is so well known is that we lose the meaning behind the words. We can easily recite the Lord's Prayer, but that's all we're doing. When Jesus gave this prayer, he didn't so much as to want us all to memorise and pray the exact words correctly. He wanted us to see and understand the things that God wants us to pray about, what is important to God. He was teaching us how to pray, not just giving us the words to pray. In Luke's Gospel, we see that the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' response when his disciples asked him to teach them to pray. In Luke 11.1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus taught his disciples many things, but this is one thing they specially asked him to teach them. They wanted to know how to pray. They wanted a closer communication with God. That should be the aim of our prayer life, developing a closer relationship with God. That's what's important. This prayer is in two of the Gospels. It's in Luke's Gospel, it's in Matthew's Gospel. And it's not an elaborate, complicated prayer. When, John's, um, when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach him to pray, he didn't give them this long, long prayer that they were to memorise and make sure they prayed exactly. It doesn't take long to actually pray the Lord's Prayer. But there's so much packed into its short phrases. Jesus covers what is important in our relationship with God, the things that God wants us to pray, the things that are important. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer to more of his followers as part of his Sermon on the Mount teaching. And it's this version that we will look at. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's go through the Lord's Prayer now and see what are the important things that we are to bring to God in prayer. And as we do, we'll understand more about our relationship with God and what he wants us to do. 
The prayer starts with our Father in heaven. The very start of this would have got the disciples' attention because the Jews didn't normally address God as Father. They used more formal terms such as Sovereign Lord or Mighty God, terms that related to God's that emphasise God's majesty, his awesomeness, his remoteness. Jesus emphasised the relationship that he was bringing, the relationship that we are able to have with God. It's a much closer, a much deeper relationship because of Jesus. 1 John 3.1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We have been adopted as children because of Jesus. We don't have to be afraid to approach God. We can come boldly into his presence. We can be sure he hears and answers our prayers because he is the perfect father who loves us so greatly. Also, Jesus taught us to say, our father, not my father. Jesus emphasized that we are part of a community. He didn't say, you know, pray my father in heaven. He said, our father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Calling God our Father when we pray declares this reality. We are part of something far greater than just ourselves. Even as we start to pray, our concern should not just be with what we want, what we think we need, all our issues and problems, but it should be concerned about others as well. We should realise that we are linked together that we are part of a community and there's strength in that, there's strength in being part of a community. It also means that none of us have any special privilege with God. No one is more favoured than anyone else. I'm sorry if I've just shattered your illusions where you thought you were God's favourite child, but sorry about that, because no one is more favoured. God is the father of all who believe. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptised into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter where you came from, what your background was, or anything like that. Once you come into God's family, you have the same standing as everyone else. I remember years ago someone saying to me, oh, can you pray for this for me? And, I mean, it's good to be praying for things for other people, of course, but they seemed to think that I had some special prayer thing. Like, it was, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to pray, but you also can pray. God hears your prayers too. He doesn't just hear my prayers. He hears you as well, and that's the truth. I mean, it's great to ask other people to stand with you in prayer if you've got some particular need. But remember, too, that God hears your prayers just as well as anyone else's. The second part of that opening phrase in Lord's Prayer goes on to say, Our Father in heaven. Even though we approach God as Father, he is still the God of the heavens and the earth, who reigns in power and might. He is far greater than any earthly father. It is so amazing that we are so privileged to be praying to the God who is so powerful and mighty, the God who is so majestic, so exalted, 
yet he's told us to call him Father. We need to always honour God with reverence and respect. And this is emphasised in the next part of the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed sounds such an old-fashioned word. It's not one we normally use. I doubt that any of you have used it in regular conversation in the last while. If you have, I'd be really interested to know where and how you used it, actually. <laughs> maybe if you visit a magnificent ancient church, maybe you've been overseas somewhere and you're going to one of those churches that's been there for hundreds of years and there's just that sense of awe and of majesty in the very building itself. And you might say, oh, this is a hallowed place. But apart from that, we don't tend to use that word to refer to people or places. It can be easy to get mixed up with the word hallowed, such as a young child who told his parents that he knew what God's name was. And when they were a bit confused, he said, oh, but my Sunday school teacher prayed, our Father in heaven, Harold be your name. <laughs> Hallowed has a particular meaning, to honour as holy, as sacred, to greatly revere. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are declaring that God is holy, that he is set apart, that he is above all else. Jesus didn't just want us to pray some weird word that we don't really understand. He wants us to realise how holy God is, that even though he is our father, he is also the holy God. And we are to live in a way that shows the holiness of God. Our desire should be to exalt his name, to glorify him in all we say and do. Jesus' desire was to glorify the Father. This was shown through his life and death. Not long before he was crucified, he, Jesus prayed, Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus' obedience to the Father in all that he did, and particularly in going to the cross, glorified God's name. When we declare God's name is holy, we're declaring all his character, his mercy, his power, his strength, his love, his forgiveness, everything that he is. And that's what we're to do. We're to declare that God is holy that his name is holy. We declare what his character is, that he is a mighty, magnificent God. And it also means that when we ask God for something, he will only act in accord with his character. He will only do that that fits with his character. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God reigns in heaven. The angels do his bidding. His will is perfectly done in heaven. When we pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, we are praying for Jesus to return and for God's glory and reign to be seen in all its fullness. Only when the Lord returns and Satan is completely defeated, when Satan's defeat is completely revealed, will we see God's kingdom come completely. Then God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Until that time, we only see it partly. So we pray this in anticipation of that time when we will see God's kingdom come in all its fullness. Just as the end of the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation calls out, Come, Lord Jesus. 
So we are also calling out for him to return. We have a role to play now. As we live as Christians in obedience to God, we are causing his kingdom to advance. If our lives honour God, if he can be seen in us and through us, then his will is being done here and now. God's kingdom is seen whenever, whenever his followers live lives that are obedient to him. As we share about him with others, we will see God's kingdom extend on earth through others coming to know him. We should want other people to come into his kingdom. When we pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, we are asking God to use us to advance his kingdom. Give us this day our daily bread. We live in a prosperous society. Generally, we have what we need for today or we have the means to get it. For a lot of the world, that's not the case. And for a lot of the society in Jesus' time, they were much more dependent on what they could grow, catch or earn each day. When Jesus taught his followers to pray this, they knew they needed to depend on God for the provision for that day. When we have plenty, it can be easy to forget that we're still dependent on God to provide for us. Part of God's provision is the wisdom and ability to earn and to plan, to use our money and goods wisely, to be generous, to be guided by God in what we do with what he has given us. We are not meant to be foolish with our resources and think, oh, we can just pray this, that's okay, and God will give us what we want. Asking God for our daily bread covers asking him for everything that we need for life. We often don't like to think we're dependent on God for everything. We like to feel we're self-sufficient. We can look at what we have, have and think, well, I've done that through my own hard work, my own efforts, I've done that. And while that's true, we must not forget that it is God that gives us the ability, who provides opportunities, and also how quickly our efforts can come to nothing when we face circumstances outside our control or when we make a foolish decision. Our lives can change so quickly, so we need to keep reminding ourselves that God is good and cares for us. Lamentation 3, 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's a wonderful scripture. It's a good one to remind yourself. If you're feeling like, like you're lacking something or you need something, just remind yourself that God is there and that he hears your prayers and that he will provide. But also look at what he's given you. What things does he want you to do? How does he want you to use what he's already given you? God's provision involves more than just our physical needs. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he refuted Satan's temptations by quoting scripture. In Matthew 4, 4, it says, Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need revelation every day. We need God's wisdom to guide us, equip us for all the challenges, for everything we come across as we live each day. We can get very focused on our physical needs, on what we think we should have, what we think we're lacking, and miss that we are in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle going on, and we need the protection and wisdom of God. 
As we pray this, we're asking God to give us everything that we need for life and godliness. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We've now come to the part of the Lord's Prayer that talks about forgiveness. And my suspicion is that many people praying the Lord's Prayer go very quickly over this part. The part before about provision and the part after about being protected from evil sound much more appealing than talking about forgiveness, especially as it involves us forgiving others. A few weeks ago, Pastor James in the Upside Down series spoke on the topic of forgiveness. If you weren't here, have a look online. They're all the sermons are put up online on YouTube. You can access them through the Facebook, through the church website. And it was a very good sermon on forgiveness. So if you weren't here, have a look at that. So I'm not going to go into a general look on this topic. But I do want to make some points about the words that are used here. In this version, we see the word debt. Some of us might be more familiar with the word sin or trespass. In an article by John Bloom in Desiring God, he says, nearly all of the most credible English translations over time have translated the Greek words ophilima, ophilates, as debts, debtors. And that's because in the New Testament, these words almost always convey the meaning of owing a financial or moral debt or obligation. In an article by a USA minister, Albert Moller, he says, in the Roman Empire then, debt typically meant severe pain and tragedy for an individual and a family. Jesus' use of the word debts is meant to evoke in our mind both a serious offence and a corresponding serious punishment. To be forgiven a debt was no mere trifle, but an act of extravagant mercy. You may have heard of debtors' prisons back in the past where people who couldn't pay debts were imprisoned until they or, or possibly their family paid off the debt. Being in debt has been a serious and potentially devastating matter. And when Jesus used the word debt, it would have brought these thoughts, these emotions to mind of the people that were listening to him. They would have had a really clear understanding of the the issue of being in debt, of what it could mean to their lives. If we look straight after the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus using a different Greek word, paratoma, in Matthew 6, 14 to 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Quoting from John Bloom again, he says, in the context, it means a kind of sin that oversteps prescribed limits or boundaries, what we call a trespass. Jesus wanted his disciples, including us, to understand sin in both the sense of owing a debt and the sense of trespassing into territory that doesn't belong to us. For God to forgive us, Jesus had to leave heaven and come to earth as a helpless baby. The perfect son of God had to grow up in a world where sin reigned. He suffered so we could be forgiven. 
God's forgiveness of us is incredible, amazing, unfathomable. We have done nothing to deserve forgiveness. We haven't repaid the debt that was owed. We haven't made restitution for the trespass we have committed. Well, we have tried to take for ourselves that which belongs to God. In fact, even after being forgiven, we still sin. It cost Jesus for God to forgive us. It's not easy forgiving. It costs us too. Our human nature wants revenge or justification. We want that debt paid. When others wrong us, we carry in our minds that sign you see at times on property, trespassers will be prosecuted. When we forgive, we're showing God's love, which he showed to us by making a way that we could be forgiven. It was God's love that sent Jesus to bring us into relationship with him. And the only way we could come into that relationship was by having our sins forgiven. We need to extend that same love to others, to forgive them just as we want God to forgive us. If we truly love other people, we will forgive them because that's what God's love involves. He forgives us because he loves us. And he forgives us and loves us to such an extent that Jesus went to the cross for our sake. And so if we love others as we're instructed to, then we also have to forgive them. And this part of the Lord's Prayer holds that we do that, where it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. It doesn't say as we will forgive. It says as we have forgiven. Because we've been forgiven so much, it makes sense that we also will forgive. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first part of this seems odd. Because James 1.13 clearly tells us that God doesn't lead us into temptation. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. This part of the Lord's Prayer is actually asking for God to lead us away from temptation. For him to lead us into righteousness. We're asking for God to protect us to lead us away from situations and circumstances that might tempt us into evil deeds. The Greek word used here for temptation, pyrosmos, can be used to refer to trials, testings, afflictions. The New Living Translation of the Bible renders this verse as, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. As we go through life, temptations will be there, and we need God to lead us as we face them. 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We need God to lead us in right paths to keep us strong when we face trials, when we are afflicted in some way. We can be in a difficult situation, and because it's hard, we can be tempted to sin, to try to escape. Think of Jesus when Satan was tempting him into the, in the wilderness. Rather than sinning to get out of it, he stayed strong and resisted the temptation by using the very words of God to resist it. We need to let the Holy Spirit work in us as we are tempted 
to bring to mind God's word, to give us strategies to overcome. God will protect us and provide a way out for us as we follow and trust him. We can see that the Lord's Prayer is not just a nice set of words to pray on formal occasions. It challenges us in regards to our relationship with God and with others. If you pray it regularly, that's great. Make sure, though, as you pray these words, you're letting the Holy Spirit work within you. Are you living in that close relationship that you have been given? Are you really seeing God as your Father who loves and cares for you? Are you honouring God as holy? Does your life glorify God in all that you do? Are you expectantly looking for God's kingdom to come in all its fullness, doing God's will here and now, and sharing with others the amazing truth of the gospel? Are you asking God for the things that he wants you to have, the needs and concerns that are on his heart? As you pray about forgiveness, is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind people you need to forgive or you need to seek forgiveness from? And also showing you the sin that you need God's forgiveness for. Be active in seeking God's help to avoid temptation, knowing that he will deliver you. And if you don't pray this prayer regularly, make sure in your prayer life that you are covering the things that Jesus taught us to pray about. It's quite amazing that Jesus taught us to pray. And we've got this incredible privilege. So make sure when you are praying that you are covering those things that were important to God, the things that God wants you to bring before him. Don't get so concerned with what you think is important that you miss the heart of God for you and for those around you. Yeah, this prayer is an incredible privilege that Jesus showed us what is important in our communication with God. It's quite amazing that in these few words, he just shows the essence of what is vital as we communicate with God, as we grow in relationship with God, of what God's heart is and what our heart should be. Let's make sure we don't take it for granted. We can think, oh, yeah, Lord's Prayer, oh, yeah, I know it. Yeah, it's just a few words and it's not, you know, that important. It's what traditional churches use. It's not, I don't need to pray that. But instead, there's just so much in it that Jesus wants us to bring before God, that Jesus wants us to really look at how we communicate with God. Let's make sure we don't take it for granted, but instead press into a much closer, a much deeper relationship with God who loves us so much. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of hearing from you what your heart is, what we should bring before our God. The things that are important, Lord, teach us really how to pray. Not just the words to use, but the deep longings of the heart. Let us submit our will to you, Lord God, and see what's on your heart so that we can be changed, so that we can be people that do your will, Lord, that live as you desire, that live a holy life and show that you are a holy, righteous, mighty God, that live knowing that you love us so much, Lord, that you call us as your child, Lord God. And Lord, we just thank you that you are always here, that you listen to us, Lord. You hear our prayers, Lord God. And Father, sometimes we wait on you for answers, but we know that you hear, Lord, and that you will answer in a way that shows your character, Lord, that shows who you are and what you desire for us, because we know that what you desire for us is the best thing for us, Lord God. 
Lord, search our hearts, search our minds, Lord. Let our will be really subject to your will, Lord God, that we might be people that show the truth of God in all that we do and say, Lord. We thank you this day, Lord God. Be with us in everything that we do, Lord God, and in all that we are. Thank you, Lord. Amen.